could just tell from the little murmur just at the mention of the word. <laughs> everybody's mind, I just looked at the second row right there, and everybody's mind just goes pew, 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 and it takes you to a place, doesn't it? The word politics. It does. Well, I'm going to start first with something really exciting. You know, we started this Hot Topic series. Uh, we're in that series. We started it talking about tragedy. Tragedy is a hot topic because it seems like a lot of tragedy is happening in our country. But when tragedy happens, communities come together. And that's what's happened with Salem Fields. At that time, the West Virginia flooding happened. And Buddy and I took a trip over there with Tone and Christian. And we kind of assessed and met with some people. And, and uh, we had a West Virginia team that uh, right in time was able to go over to Clendenin and work. And then this past week, we had another team in West Virginia that went, uh, the Mossers. And, uh, whoa, we were too fast. Not that one yet. Back. Here we are, look at that mask. And see, many of you contributed because you gave financially to buy some of those masks. And now they're saying that they need some skilled labor there. So if you are skilled in tearing down houses and doing that sort of thing, Kelly is gonna continue to put teams together to go over to West Virginia because we have to remember in tragedies, it's not just when the media tells us that it's happening. It goes on and on and on and on. So we continue to have a responsibility. And Salem Fields Community Church is a community that wants to answer in tragedies. And so we talked about that the first week. Last week we talked about hatred. And that's kind of a buzzword in our culture now. And all I can say to wrap up with that is let's pray for our law enforcement. Let's pray for people everywhere, all around the world. Because in our news almost on a regular basis. We hear of another tragedy, uh, another example of, of people just kind of going awry. And so our responsibility as a community is to pray for people, pray for our communities, and pray for our law enforcement, and take our responsibility as a believer in Jesus Christ to lift our country and our world up to him. And uh, this week, this past week, Buddy and I traveled with our now you can put it up. Isn't that awesome, though? Uh, uh, we traveled with our Ohio Lower Lights mission team to Columbus, Ohio. And uh, they went out, and they served, and they experienced the inner city life. They had an urban encounter. And I hope that some of you will have opportunity in the future to go out to Lower Lights. It is an incredible ministry. Uh, my cousins uh, that were out there, Buddy and I traveled out. Oh, he's not here. Uh, Buddy and I traveled out, and we stayed with my cousins. Now, the team went down and stayed in the inner city. And this is where prostitution, prostitution and drugs are uh, the, the jobs of the day. That's what happens. And they were submerged into this culture uh, where they saw lots of things that they probably don't see here on a regular basis and that team came together and they worked and they uh, encountered that city and uh, it, it was an incredible time. That's our team and um, a lot of them are doing this <laughs> and I'll tell you about that later. But anyway, just two hours away, just two hours away was Cleveland, Ohio. Now what happened in Cleveland, Ohio this week? 
Good, you don't know. It was the, <laughs> and, and you won't have your TVs on next week either. See so you know, the, what was it? Yes, it was, Justin. And you were even in West Virginia serving this week, weren't you? How did you know that? <laughs> it was the Republican National Convention. It was the political machine at its loudest and, and its best. Uh, it was a full-blown political machine in, at the Republican National Convention. Now, we're going to get more this week at the Democratic National Convention in Philadelphia. You may or may not be interested in that. But there's, if there's ever two subjects that will raise the temperature of a room or get people more tense or make their minds go in crazy directions, it's what? The two subjects. <laughs> Religion and politics is the correct answer there. Religion and politics, which reminds me. There was a senator in a restaurant, and this waiter came to him and brought him uh, rolls, and he said, I, I would really like some butter, please, and the waiter nodded and went away, and the waiter uh, came back 10 minutes later, and he said, I I've got my rolls, but I, I really need the butter, and the waiter nodded and went off, and 10 minutes later, the senator still didn't have his butter. And the senator says, uh, sir, could you come here, please? Maybe you don't know who I am. I'm a Princeton grad. I'm a Rhodes Scholar. I'm an all-American basketball player. I played for the New York Knicks. He said, I'm currently a U.S. senator. I'm the chairman of the International Debt Subcommittee of Senate Finance Committee. I'm the chairman of Water and Power Subcommittee of the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee. And I'm a member of the Senate Select Intelligence Committee. And the waiter said, maybe you don't know who I am. I'm the one who's in charge of the butter. <laughs> you see, the, the senator really raised the importance of his titles. And I found that we do that with politics in our country as well, don't we? We raise the importance of politics. Are they important? Absolutely, yes. But nothing makes people go into all kinds of directions or get tensed up like when you mention politics. So this week we were staying with my cousin and we were gonna go out with my other cousin who is intensely political. She just loves to protest and do that sort of thing, but I adore her. She was one of my best friends growing up, my closest cousin. But we were staying with her sister, and, and she said, whatever, we were going out to dinner with them, and my cousin says, whatever you do, please don't mention politics. <laughs> and then that night, uh, we came back, and uh, we turned on the TV, and it was the RNC, and, and my other cousin, her husband, says, I'm going to bed. And that was all I heard out of him. <laughs> and then before we came home that morning, we had breakfast with my cousin, who I said really kind of enjoys uh, the whole political thing. And uh, her husband is kind of a quiet guy. And he said, you know, I will never forget. He just retired from Anheuser-Busch, worked there for, I don't know, 200 years. But it was a long time. And he's, he's kind of quiet. And he said, I will never forget the first job I ever had, what they told me, the very first day on the job, they told me there are four things that you don't talk about here. The first one is your paycheck. 
religion, politics, and someone else's girlfriend or wife. <laughs> he said, I, I will never forget that. And, and it was a good rule of thumb for him. And I think he kept that the whole time that he was there. Why does that happen? Well, it, it happens because it touches on intensely personal opinions. And it touches on loyalties. And it touches on things and ideas and opinions that divide, that have a huge potential to divide. Because division seems to be the order of the day in our world today. Now, for me, I like to talk about it. I like to listen to it, especially to my grandson, the millennial. I love hearing his views and his perspective, and I love talking because you can learn to know a lot about a person when they talk about politics. Did you ever notice that? And so I love to learn and listen. But as far as allowing it to carry me into the vast sea of intense opinion, well, this is more like me. I ain't got no time for that. But I'll talk about it and, and I'll listen to it. But like it or not, the political systems are necessary. All of us here today get to enjoy great benefits in this country because of a political system. What, what's, what's a great benefit that we get to experience living in this country? Free, freedom of religion. We get to come here today and we can worship freely and nobody is going to do anything to us. We get to do that. What was another one? The right to vote, right to have a voice in what happens. One vote, one voice. Clean water. You might not appreciate that, but if you travel to a place like Africa or South America, uh, throwing your toilet paper into the stool when you're done. <laughs> I just thought of that one. You can't do that in a lot of other countries. We, and, and you see, as Americans, we take those simple things for granted, but we get to enjoy a lot our roadways. If you've traveled in other countries, you see that you begin to appreciate our roadways. We get to have a lot of benefits because there's a political system in place. And likewise, all of us are affected by the chaos of, and I'll give you a theological term here, systemic evil. But you get it, don't you? Because all systems have evil in them. All systems are skewed because they're run by human people, right? So we get benefits and we have to deal with the chaos as well. So if we're 18 years or older, we have a civic responsibility. And if we're a Christ follower, the challenge that you and I have, if you say that you follow Christ, is that we have to navigate through this without becoming jaded, angry, or apathetic. That's a huge challenge. Well, it's been said that religion and politics don't mix. Yet politics cross into territory that really matters to God. There are issues like uh, the treatment of the poor and oppressed, um, the definition of marriage, when life begins and ends. All of these issues and ideas and subjects matter to God. 
But the mixture of politics and religion has burned us too. We've been burned by it. Whether it's embarrassment over religious extremism in the 80s, do you remember that? Or groups that shout uh, God hates particular groups of people. Christianity, like it or not, has been labeled with lots of negative stereotypes that turn people off and turn people away. And honestly, rightfully so. So rather, and I'm a stickler on this, rather than allowing the culture to set the course of our conversations, we really need to be thoughtful about this. And we need to step back and get a bigger picture. And I found that there's no better place to go than to Jesus and his word. And I've got to tell you, this week, whether it was in the car riding home from Ohio or out in Ohio a day that I got to spend working on this message, I've spent time with Jesus. I've been digging into his word. You see, because Jesus lived in a highly politicized, a highly politically saturated culture, somehow we think that we've got kind of an intense political culture, but Jesus was in much more of a political culture, and and he was involved with the, he he was uh, under the Jewish government, and they were under the government of Rome. And so all we need to do uh, is to look at how he navigated through the politics of his day, because he's our example. First, Jesus emphasized citizenship. Jesus had a strong interest in the machine of government, though he never involved himself in the politics of the Jewish government or their overseer, Rome. Yet he was affected, just like we are, by both. He wasn't involved, but he was affected. Now, you guys remember that story of Jesus feeding the thousands of people with five loaves of bread and, and two fish. Remember that story? How he went out and he had, uh, this little boy had five loaves of bread and there were two fish. And he said, you know what? Take that basket. And they watched Jesus perform a miracle of feeding thousands of men, women, and children that day. And that crowd was so impressed with this guy that just performed a miracle. They said, that's who we want as king. Because we want this government overthrown. And look at Jesus. Jesus is the one. He's a miracle worker. He can do that for us. And you know what they did? They tried to force Jesus into becoming their king. That crowd took charge and tried to force Jesus. You know what Jesus did? He ran away up into the mountains. Because you see, Jesus was concerned about government. But he said, my kingdom is a different kind of government. He was talking about a government that he would bring to earth, that would bring world peace. You can see the scripture there of how they tried to force Jesus. And you know what? Jesus could have accepted that endorsement. He could have been blown away by the crowd popularity there that day. He could have overthrown the political powers of that day. He had enough support. He had enough power. He could have started a political revolution at that point. But his message wasn't about the earthly government. 
It was about another kind of government, one that he would bring to earth, a government from God that would one day rule the world and bring world peace. And you do realize that's still yet to come, right? He said, that's the government that we're a citizen of. We tend to forget that, don't we? It's one that will yet come and bring world peace. Does anyone here not want world peace? We want world peace. Jesus promised that his government would bring world peace. We're part of that story. We're still actively involved in that timeline of that happening. And he said, I want to establish this in your heart, in the hearts of people. And you have a citizenship in heaven. And I need you because you're going to be part of that government that establishes and brings that world peace. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now, my kingdom is from another place. You see, his followers, the disciples then, you and I, if we call ourselves a Christ follower, we are registered citizens of his government that's yet to come. Every choice, every decision we make is to be filtered with a fierce loyalty first to that government. Have you thought about that in this highly politicized culture that we live in? That's why we take time like this to get into his word and to look at Jesus as his example. And then Jesus told people how to be ready for that. He tells us clearly how we need to be ready for that government. It's to have faith in the Son of God and to live that out in our lives. Because if we truly believe that, it will be reflected in our words, in our actions, in the way we do life. Secondly, Jesus also taught respect for governmental authority. It's scattered throughout. Now, this is a timeless truth that's still for us. He was teaching his disciples how to strike a balance between their responsibilities toward God and the obligations toward government, because we have both, you know. Even when, even when you're living in a government that's opposed to your beliefs. The Roman government was brutal. All you have to do is go to the Colosseum one time in Rome and listen to the stories of what happened there. The Roman government was brutal and oppressive and against everything that Jesus represented and stood for. Yet Jesus was not an enemy of the civil government. And when he was teaching in the temple, the people said, let's trick him. Let's see who he really has his loyalty to. Is it who he says or is it to the government? And, and they, they tried to trick him and they asked him a question about paying taxes. And Jesus' answer was a masterpiece of balance. And he said, I'll tell you what to do. 
Give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what's God's. It's a pretty simple message that he gives. Now, clearly, Jesus was saying that we have obligations both to God. You see, it's our responsibility as Christ followers, if we call ourselves one, if we say that we are one, to show the love of Christ to this world. It's also our responsibility, if we're 18 years or older, to carry out our civic responsibility. And here Jesus is saying that we have a responsibility to vote. Well, there was a little boy that wanted $100, and he prayed for two weeks that God would send him uh, $100, and nothing happened. So he decided to write God a letter, and he requested that $100 from God. And the postal authorities saw this, and it, it, was, it was addressed, God, USA. And they saw this, and they said, what do we do with this cute little letter? And so they sent it to the president. And the president was so impressed and so amused that he instructed the secretary to send $50. Because $50 is going to be pretty impressive to a little boy, right? And so he did. So the little boy was delighted when he got the $50, and he sat down, and he said, I'm going to write a thank you note to God. And he said, dear God, thanks so much for the money. However, I noticed that for some reason you had to send it through Washington, D.C., and as usual, they took half of it. (laughs) It happens, doesn't it? You get your paycheck, you see the gross, you see the net, you say, what? (laughs) Well, the reality of it is, like it or not, earthly governments can place requirements on us that we don't like like taxes, just like in Jesus' day. Now, my taxes go to pay for some good things, and I love that. Education, clean water, roadways, I love that. But my taxes also go to things that I don't like it goes there. It's some things that I think break God's heart. But does that give me a right not to pay my taxes? No. Jesus is saying here, this is a governmental authority that's requiring this. Pay it. Paul speaks to this, to the Romans. He says, let everything be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. Soak that in. God is still in control. No matter what's going on, the authorities that that exist have been established by God. Whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. We don't have to bring judgment on them. We don't have to point fingers at other people. We live in a country where everybody's entitled to their opinions. It clearly says that if we rebel, that includes us, against what God has instituted, we bring judgment on ourselves. So why are we not trusting God? Why is that not our mantra? My cousin said, the one that likes to protest a little bit and is really intensely, I know where she stands in, in politics. And she said to me, we went to breakfast, and I said, you know, I've been, I said politics and boy, her temperature raised. And, and I said, well, you know, I'm really looking at what Jesus 
did in his, uh, and she said, well, what did he do? And so I was able to sit there and talk to her about Jesus and talk to her about what I'm talking to you about this morning. And then she said, but, but Gay, how do you do that? How do you, how do you follow that example when you disagree with so many things the government and politicians do? And I said, by following Jesus, by looking at how he did it and living the way that he did. Because you see, believers throughout ages have lived, even flourished under repressive pagan governments. Still do, but especially in the first century believers who under merciless political regimes still sustain their faith. How did they do that? They kept their faith in spite of the fact that they were under oppressive political regimes because they had an overwhelming trust in God. They understood that it was their responsibility, not the government's, to be salt and light in this world. We want the government to shape up, don't we? But Jesus clearly calls us, that's our job. Our job is to be salt and light to this earth. And you know what they did? They stuck to what Paul taught. They obeyed what he taught to the govern, about the governing authorities, even to honor, to respect, and to pray for them. See, they knew where their hope was found. And it wasn't in the government. It was in Jesus Christ. It was in God. What about us? What does the world know about us? See, the same holds true for us today. When we get in line with the scriptures, when we obey what the scripture says, we're transformed. And we shine a light without even trying. We become who God intended us to be. The scripture says, let your light shine before others because that's going to give glory to God. Thirdly, Jesus lived by conviction rather than opinion. Now, there's a huge difference. It might seem the same, but there's a huge difference between opinion and conviction. Opinion is what most people have. In fact, there was a, uh, it came up on the screen that uh, 8.5 million people tweeted 30 million opinions. Everybody has an opinion. Everybody has an opinion. An opinion is an individual's belief about something influenced by our personal wants. What, it is, what is it that I want? By our experience, by our speculation. It's not uh, by scientific research or biblical truth. Uh, Personality and experience influence our opinions. And, and if you really think about it, the human mind is an imperfect device. We make faulty judgments. It's amazing how we can judge things so improperly because we judge it by one little slice of the story. We don't know the whole story. And we do that with our human minds. And opinion is based and skewed because not one of us here today have all truth. 
We know the one that does, but we, none of us have all truth. So to make a judgment is always going to be biased and skewed. That's an opinion. Conviction is completely different. On the other hand, it's a serious inner battle. And it's, it's between the Christian's spirit and the temptation to do things my way. To get things to go the way I think they should go. It's that battle within. And if conviction is, is listening to God's still, small voice, and I'll tell you, that will slow you down. That will quiet you. That will give you pause if you begin to listen to that still, small voice. And that small voice, the, the, the job of that voice is to persuade the Christian who's tempted to go their own way to persist against anything that would lead them away from God. Are we doing that as the body of Christ? Are we listening for that voice? You see, it's a willingness to live by a standard, even if it doesn't go along with the popular crowd. Even if you're laughed at. Not in a radical way, but in a way that lives by what you believe God has shown you to do. While, on, while Jesus was on earth, he was in constant communication with his father. He was constantly asking him to lead, his, lead the way and to speak to him. That's what it takes. Now, I had parents who didn't vote in political elections, never understood completely what that was all about until I became older in life. Now, it wasn't from their personal opinion it wasn't out of rebelliousness against a country that they really did love. But it was from their deep convictions. And while some, I'm sure, and some today might criticize that choice, I deeply admired their willingness to follow their convictions. They believed God spoke to them that they were to pray for their country that they were to pray for their leaders. And I learned to live by conviction from them. Do I do exactly what they did? No, because I've had to learn by the, I've had to live by the convictions that I believe God has spoken to me about. Clearly, and you do know this, right? Clearly, God doesn't align himself with any political party. To reduce him to that goes against everything Jesus lived and taught. It's why it's so important for us to step back for a moment because you know the undertow of, of, of what's going on in our culture will pull you out into it. You know that, right? So it's important for us to step back and, and look at it from a broader perspective. And there's a fascinating passage in the Old Testament, where an angel of the Lord comes to Joshua. And jo it says, Joshua went up to him, up to the angels, and asked, are you for us or are you for our enemies? Okay, who are you for, God? And the angel says, neither one. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I've come. Would you just brew on that? Let's 
let that scripture soak into you for a moment. It's pretty fascinating. You know, somebody said, I just wish Jesus could be president. <laughs> and I think someone even wrote a book, Jesus for President. And, and I was walking the other day and I said, me too. <laughs> I, I, I wish he could. And then I realized God just brought it to, you know what? You're just like the people in the crowd that day. I've seen Jesus perform miracles. I want him as my leader. I would love for him to be the leader of this country, but I was reminded Jesus said exactly the same thing that he said to the crowd that day. I'm not about this earthly government, okay? You are a citizen of heaven. That's where your loyalty goes. See, Jesus would have the same message to us today. The solution to mankind's problems is not to reform the present government or to poke fingers at it, but to fully be aware of our citizenship to another country. Is that on the forefront of your mind in this highly politicized culture? Or do two names come to your mind when you think about what's going on right now? We can't have a divided heart. Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. You're either going to hate one and love the other, or you're going to stick to one and despise the other. This leaves you with a lot to pray about, to think about. So what do we do? Well, we put his kingdom first. It's the first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor, that person who doesn't see things the way that you do, as yourself. We're to love him wholeheartedly, with complete allegiance to him. And you know what I wanted to do today with you? I just simply wanted to give you a simple message. Remember to put first things first. We talked about this a, quite a while back. Matthew 6:33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added to you. Did you notice that I didn't mention any candidate's name this whole time? Because it's so much it's about so much more than that, so much more for us to consider, to pray about, to read about, to look at Jesus. And I want to give you three truths just to brew on. First of all, the will of God permeates and supersedes every aspect of life. Do you have that much trust that even though our world seems like it's in complete chaos that God is still in control? Nothing can thwart his will. No government, nothing. Secondly, government's not responsible for saving mankind. Did you forget about that? Government's not in charge of that. Only God can save people. Government is not the hope of our country. Jesus Christ is. And thirdly, 
You know what our responsibility to government is? Obey the laws and be a good citizen. Simple. Obey the laws and be a good citizen. Will I keep that speed limit right on track except for my cruise control every time? No. I'll, I'll make mistakes. But that's why God gives his grace. And so just a simple reminder, keep first things first. I asked Peyton to do this song just as a reminder for every single one of us. And I'd like you to stand up. And uh, I just want to challenge you this morning. Maybe you have gotten pulled in by the undertow of the culture. And maybe it's time for you to step back and to put first things first. So as we, as we close with this song, would you just allow God's still small voice to speak to your heart and to surrender to him whatever it is that may have been gotten out in front of what needs to be first. Let's sing this together. Before I bring my need, I will bring my heart. Before I lift my cares, I will lift my arms. Oh, I want to know you. I want to find you in every season, in every moment. Before I bring my need, I will bring my heart. Treasure in my